I think the predominant perception for refugees today is that oh, they're poor, they're low skilled, or you know, they they have no skills to contribute to Japan. But if we can shift that, we can think of them as contributors to society and people who have very useful skills for Japan, then that could really change the policy from the government side. Then you know they can say that, okay, usually Japan makes decisions based on whether the person, a foreign person, can contribute to Japan. And if that perception is shifted, then it's possible that the government would be more inclusive of people with refugee backgrounds. Konnichiwa, minasan. Business Successor Japan no podcast de yokoso. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business Success Japan podcast. This is your host, Lydia Bukelman. My main goal here is to create an easily accessible resource for those who want to develop Japan specific communication skills, especially in business. While I don't promise to make you fluent in Japanese, I hope that you will walk away from each episode with a skill, piece of information, or shift in mindset that will help you be more effective in your interactions with Japanese business people. Also, a quick reminder to please rate and review the podcast if you enjoy it. It goes a long way to helping others find the podcast and learn more, and it also helps me keep going as an independent creator. So, thanks in advance. In today's episode, I get to share a conversation I had with Sira Yoon. Sira is the founder and CEO of Discover Deep Japan and a social entrepreneur with years of experience leading teams across countries in the Middle East, Africa, and Asia. He holds a master's in social innovation from the University of Cambridge Judge Business School and is also fluent in Japanese, Korean, English, French, Spanish, and Arabic. He'll share a bit more about his story during the interview, so be sure to keep listening to learn more. But before that, let's go over a little bit of Japanese. In the previous episode, we learned a phrase that literally means that is a little bit difficult, but in actuality, it's just an indirect way of saying no. Sore wa chotto muzukashii desu. So, de, wa, chotto, muzukashii desu. Sore wa chotto muzukashii desu. I'm not going to break it down and explain it here, so be sure to check out the previous episode to learn the phrase's cultural significance and how it's used. Today, I want to go over a word that Sera brings up in our conversation. Motai nai. Mo. Ta. I. Na. I. Motai nai. The simple definition of this word is wasteful, or even the phrase, what a waste. But it means so much more than that in Japanese culture. This concept applies to everything from being sure to eat every grain of rice in your bowl to taking exceptionally good care of one's personal items. It can also be used to express that something is too good for someone or even wasted on them. And it can also be used to talk about people's talents or other attributes being wasted in their current situation in life or at work. While the strength of this concept's influence on Japanese culture may allegedly be weakening due to the current rise in convenience culture, it's still a great term to be aware of to understand the anxiety over wasted time and resources that still exists in many Japanese companies. But now, let's get into today's interview. So, my name is Sera Yun. I am Zainichi Korean, born and raised in Japan. So, I, was,、um, I grew up in Kawasaki, Kanagawa. 
Uh, but my, my parents are diverse. So my mom is uh, Zainichi Korean, second generation uh, Korean, ethnic Korean person living in Japan. And uh, my father is actually Japanese. So until the age of 16, I grew up in Japan. And then I moved to the US. And from there, I uh, traveled around the world and um, I, I lived in different countries. So lived in Switzerland, lived in Lebanon, Algeria, Iraq, Bangladesh, and mostly working in social sector. So I worked for the UN and for the International Red Cross. And uh, two years ago, so in 2019, I came back to Japan and I started a social enterprise. It's called Discover Deep Japan. And our mission is to build a more inclusive world. So um, why I started this uh, company is that I am quite diverse in, in backgrounds. And growing up in Japan, Japan is very homogenous in general compared to other countries. And because I was different, I felt like I was not normal. I felt like I, I had to fit in to society. And I, I felt like I didn't belong anywhere. I didn't belong in Japan or I didn't belong in, in Korea because I, I didn't live there. So um, in school, I became a target of bullying and it was really uh, tough going to school uh, at some point. And that's, that was my you know, original experience that you know, I, I really wanted to do something for uh, people like me. And I was not alone. There are many migrants and refugees who feel the same way, who have to fit in, who didn't feel like they, they belonged here. So I wanted to build a society where people like us can feel like ourselves and uh, just we can be ourselves and we can be proud of our diverse heritage. And also we can achieve our full potential and using our unique skills. Sometimes, you know, it's about our uh, unique perspectives like foreign perspectives or language skills, etc. And we are actually uh, not a burden to society, but also but, uh, we are contributors to society. So that, that's why we started Discover Deep Japan. Yeah, that sounds so amazing. Thank you for sharing your story. I'm just a little bit curious what motivated you to go back to Japan, because I know that it can, I don't want to say easy, but the draw can be to just kind of stay abroad if you feel a little bit othered by your home country. Yeah. So why did you decide to go back? So there are several reasons. Uh, and uh, as you said, I feel more comfortable actually outside of Japan than uh, in Japan. However, my, my partner, she got a job in Japan. And at the time I was in Iraq. So uh, I was in Iraq and, but you know, my partner was based in Japan and that was my home country. And uh, so it was quite difficult to uh, you know, maintain the long distance relationship. So I decided to move closer to Bangladesh which is uh, slightly closer, but still far away. And um, at the time, my, my partner and I were talking about you know, growing the family. So now we have a one-year-old uh, child. And at some point, you know, I realized that it was very difficult to maintain this uh, long-distance relationship. So either 
me or uh, my partner had to sacrifice the career and uh, move, move with me in Iraq or Bangladesh, or you know, I moved back to Japan. And at the time, it just made sense for me to quit my job mm -hmm. at the International Committee of the Red Cross and go back to Japan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was, that was uh, one reason. But mm -hmm. another reason is that I believe that you know, if uh, people like us start leaving Japan, then uh, Japan will be more homogenous and nothing will change in Japan. So I wanted to take this challenge to do something in Japan, you know, try to you know, make it more inclusive mm -hmm. and try to carve out my, my space in Japan as well, which when I was young, I, I guess my initial reaction is to escape. Mm -hmm. And you know, I found my refuge in America where I felt very uh, normal, you know, like I was just one of immigrants, there are many immigrants and I didn't feel like I, uh, I, I stood out. But uh, in Japan, definitely people still ask me, hey, why are you Japanese so good? Or, you know, like, are you from China? Are you from Korea? You know, these questions are very common and people don't realize that I can read kanji. So <laughs> yeah, you know, these things happen and I, yeah, I still feel sometimes uncomfortable. However, uh, you know, I think what we are doing at Discover Deep Japan, we're really trying to change that and, you know, make, make it inclusive for everyone, including myself. Yeah, I think it's so great that you took the opportunity to see it as a challenge to yeah. try and make things better. So can you tell us a little bit more specifically about what your company does? Sure. So Discover Deep Japan is essentially a digital marketing agency. So our purpose is to, to bridge Japan, especially Japan's countryside, with the world. So uh, we are mostly foreigners, so migrants and refugees, and we have different language skill sets. Uh, so, you know, uh, English, Chinese, French, Mongolian, you know, different languages. And we have digital marketing skills. So like we, specifically we build websites for our clients and we manage their social media accounts like Facebook, Instagram on behalf of our clients. And we, we are trying to foster a mutual understanding, mutual trust between people in Japan, like mostly Japanese people with, um, with foreigners, with people with diverse backgrounds and make Japan more accessible for people uh, with foreign backgrounds, with diverse backgrounds. So we'll go back to that in a little bit, but can you tell us a little bit about what, in your opinion, are social justice issues that are currently going on in Japan, in your opinion? I guess I'm biased, so because I, I work in the immigration and uh, I guess uh, regional revitalization sector. So I would say the biggest issue is the population decline in Japan. Uh, Japan um, Japan's population is shrinking and at the same time, it's uh, becoming much older. And uh, what happens is that we need to um, invite foreign workers to come to Japan and to sustain the, the current social security system. And that's inevitable in my brief. Um, so this will happen. So Japan will become diverse on the surface in the sense that there will be many, many more uh, foreign workers. However, um, 
um, there comes you know integration issues and you know diversity and inclusion issues. Just because so uh, we have many different faces doesn't mean we we are inclusive uh, society. So I guess what Discover Deep Japan is trying to do is like okay this immigration will will happen sooner or later, and uh, how can we live together? You know rather than um, having these separate societies within the same country. And, uh, you know, I think in certain countries that what's happening is that they're elite, you know, local residents and they're like just foreign workers who are exploited and who work in, uh, in the blue collar jobs and you know, really the jobs that no local resident wants to do, right? Mm -hmm. So I think Japan should take a different path I believe that we should really um, try to integrate everyone who comes to Japan, and uh, regardless of their diverse backgrounds, they can you know choose different jobs and they can choose different uh, different lives uh, that they want to choose. So then, for somebody who might be interested in doing something similar to you, mm -hmm. what does the structure of a pro-social entrepreneurship, how, do, like, how does that function in Japan versus a pure NGO or a pure for-profit company? Yeah, yeah. So like social enterprises, social startup, uh, social business. So these companies are uh, right in between uh, traditional businesses and, and non-profit organizations. So uh, in Japan, actually, legally speaking, there's no difference between social like a social enterprise and the uh, normal company so in different countries like the uk has tax benefits for social enterprises if you are uh, registered as a uh, social enterprise and in, in the us i think you have b corp and there are some benefits of being recognized as a b corp as well however in japan we are not there yet so um normal companies also uh, social enterprises are treated as normal companies, it's just that their purpose is for uh, solving a social problem. And um, so we are actually forced to compete with uh, companies who are um, you know, focused on maximizing their profits. So we have you know, different purposes, like we, we want to create social impact, but also we need to maintain financial viability and, and that's, that's very difficult uh, yeah, compared to other countries because other countries, they have tax benefits or some mm -hmm. subsidies. And uh, in Japan, you're just you know, a normal company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it, it's really not easy. Yeah. Do you think there's any interest politically in making that sort of thing happen? Or is that probably gonna be something that's on the back burner? In the near future, yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think there are some, you know, events and there are some, uh, you know, accelerators focused on social enterprises, etc. Uh, from the government side, I think it will take a long time until the law changes and, uh, you know, it will be more, um, you know, facility, uh, easier to. To establish a social enterprise, but uh, I think the private sector, especially um, impact investing, is uh, booming. So 
I think uh, that could influence the government and, and the parliament to make modifications to the current law. Yeah, I hope that that can happen sooner so rather than later. But <laughs> <laughs> so going back a little bit, can you share how your personal experiences migrating to so many different countries, maybe the different sorts of receptions you had in those countries shape how you see how immigration works and how immigrants are treated in Japan? So, yeah, because I, you know, my experience obviously shapes my worldview. And uh, because of my experience and because of uh, my background, I guess I understand more about the pains of all the immigrants that come to Japan or uh, in other countries. And uh, especially in the context of Japan, in other countries, they have this uh, tendency to pressure people into to conform to the to the norms, but uh, I think in Japan it's especially very strong that mm. everyone has to be the same and uh, conformity is uh, valued over diversity or um, you know being different. So in that context, uh, it's very very common for people with diverse backgrounds, people with immigration backgrounds, to be targets for bullying in school and work. And also, they, there was a survey like three years ago that many foreigners are denied uh, housing just because they are foreigners, just because they are uh, they didn't speak Japanese, and uh, also for work as well. Employment is difficult, more difficult. I think uh, the choices for immigrants are quite limited, and especially towards you know, very menial labor in factories and in construction sites. So really, um, I understand more about our, you know, situation and our pain than probably, uh, you know, someone who grew up as a, you know, without any minority backgrounds. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah it definitely places you in a unique position to be empathetic and understanding towards people. So can you tell us a little bit more about what skill waste is specifically among refugees in Japan? Sure. So uh, I believe that Japan is quite lucky in the sense that we have people coming from Africa, Middle East, or the conflict zones, basically, who come to Japan and who have the skills to contribute to society. So, uh, you know, if you had a country is ridden with conflict just you know next door then they will be you know just people and some people will be very skilled some people are uh, you know didn't have the opportunity to to get education etc and uh, for example like Syria uh, there are many people who fled to Lebanon and uh, to, to Turkey and you know neighboring countries but in Japan we have uh, some Syrian people come into Japan, either as refugees, as uh, students, etc. And because they were able to make it to Japan, that means they were actually able to pay for their airplane tickets, and they they were able to apply for their visa. And that means they're uh, actually elite class of uh, their society. So usually they have like master's degree, or you know they have 
professional backgrounds, and then they come to Japan. And what happens in Japan is that because of their precarious visa status and also lack of language skills, they, their choices are limited in terms of employment. So many people work in, in factories and construction sites. So that's, I would say, in Japanese, motainai. Uh, you know, it's really a waste that you know, they, they have different skills that you know, they can do many things in Japan. Uh, and then they end up in you know, factories. And not that factory jobs are not contributing to Japanese society. I think that's very important. But they have uh, different skills that could actually make a bigger impact for, for Japan. Yeah, that's an important point too, though. It's not yeah. bad to work in a factory, but if you have certain qualifications or trainings and you, you just have so many barriers to be able to use those skills, it is definitely multinational. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So what do you think can be done about that specific issue on a structural level in Japan? Or do you think it will have to come through more of a cultural shift? So I think one of, one of the reasons is the visa, right? And in Japan, uh, very few people are accepted as refugees. And if that could change, you know, if they have a normal visa, then they they will be treated as you know, just a foreign person, right? But because they have like six months visa that they have to renew every six months, and sometimes they can be denied uh, the extension of their visa. So from the perspective of uh, companies, it's not that they are you know, racist or discriminatory or anything, but you know, it's just a pure business choice that if you have two foreigners, one with a stable visa, and the other person with uh, precarious, you know, you don't know what's going to happen to that person, then uh, it's safer to invest for recruitment fees and training fees for this person and uh, to, uh, you know, this person with, you know, more stable visa and um, hire that person. So uh, I think if the government changes that uh, regulation, or practice to accept more refugees as refugees, uh, it's, uh, then I think uh, the things will be better. So in Japan, less than 1% of refugee applicants are accepted as refugees. So we have about 10,000 applications so every year and uh, only you know, 40 people, like 12 people get accepted as refugees. So it's very, very small uh, percentage yeah, and all other people, they, they have the right to work, most of, most of them, but uh, they have to renew and they're still applying asylum seekers. And, and I believe that cultural shift will be important to actually influence the government's decision. So I think the predominant perception for refugees today is that oh, they're poor, they're low skilled, or, you know, they they have no skills to contribute to Japan. But if we can shift that, we can think of them as contributors to society and people who have very useful skills for Japan, then that could really change the policy from the government side. Then you know, they can say that, okay, usually Japan makes decisions based on whether the person, a foreign person can contribute to Japan. And if that, perception is shifted, then it's possible that the government would be more inclusive of people with refugee backgrounds. 
Yeah, I recently had another guest, Richard Mort, mention the very low number of refugees that are accepted into Japan. I don't know、mm-hmm. the numbers. I don't know them off the top of my head for other countries. But do you know why it's so low in Japan? So I guess the、um, the background is that Japan is an island country, and、uh, the the mindset in general is insular. I cannot generalize for everyone, but.、Uh, Especially for for the government, the、uh, the mindset is immigration control, not the protection of people who need protection, refugees. So、um, there, you know, many people apply for refugee status, but、uh, the immigration officials, in general, they they follow, they have the training of controlling people who arrive in Japan illegally. Or people who overstay their visa, and their you know mindset is really、uh, trying to find out who is here illegally, rather than、uh, you know finding out who needs protection. So I think that that is quite huge. It's it's not separate from immigration control、uh, in different countries like in the U.S. or recently in、uh, in South Korea, they've separated immigration control division from. The refugee protection division, which are quite、uh, different, so that's that's the big background reason why you know, the recognition rate is very low. And another specific reason is、uh, the burden of proof or this、uh, requirement to produce documents is quite high in Japan. So refugees they they flee their countries you know overnight you know. Things change, and they have to leave quickly. And also, they are usually persecuted from their own government. So it's very difficult to secure, like police reports or、uh, you know certain documents that are considered evidence to their、um, uh, refugee status. So usually, they don't have anything. They just leave、uh, as soon as possible, and they arrive in Japan. But the Japanese government requires them, hey, what's What's、uh, where's the proof that you were arrested and you were detained? Can you show me? And they would go, I have, I have no paper because I just left, you know,、uh, after I got released. And、um, so, when you don't have any evidence, it's really difficult to get、uh, recognized as refugee. And other countries, they they recognize that situation, you know, this very special situation for refugees. So they actually corroborate their、uh, statements with, you know, country of origin information. So, like, what's going on in this、uh, in the country in terms of、uh, protests, and they check, you know, these facts with、uh, their statement. And if they match, you know,、uh, they they accept them as refugees. And the burden of proof is actually not on the refugees to to produce all all these documents. But、uh, on on the state side, to prove that the person is not in need of protection. Yeah, if you're fleeing for your life, bringing along with you proof that you've been persecuted is probably the last thing that you're <laughs> focusing on. So, exactly. Yeah, I can see how that would become a huge problem if that's sort of the default system. But I know that in the United States, I don't know what percentage of refugees end up in this situation. But it's relatively common in the United States for, for example, a church or a small、mm-hmm. town 
to contact the government and be like, hey, we want mm -hmm. to host refugees when you have them. Like, we'll take mm -hmm. them in, we'll help support them, we'll yep. make sure that they can get training, get jobs. Is that something that happens much in Japan? No, not really. So I guess like private sponsorship is not a thing in Japan yet. I think there are some discussions about it, like, you know, certain municipalities want to, you know, host uh, refugees, but no, it's, it's not happening yet. I hope it will happen very soon though. <laughs> yeah, again, it just takes time to make those changes because it's such a big, it's such a big shift in strategy and approaching exactly. this. Can you tell us a little bit more about what diversity and inclusion looks like at Japanese companies more specifically, like in the corporate culture? So I guess it's related to um, work-life balance as well. So Japanese corporate culture glorifies overwork and you know, long working hours. And, and that means people who have different obligations at home, like uh, childcare or elderly care, then that person, usually women, uh, cannot enter you know, these kind of jobs. And you know, typically these uh, very Japanese corporations are male dominant uh, you know, from top to bottom. And women have uh, marginal positions that are part-time and so that they can balance between uh, work and, and life. So definitely there is an issue of diversity and inclusion uh, on that uh, front that's you know, really difficult for people who have different needs other than work are able to enter the workforce. I think uh, these things are changing slowly. So especially with COVID-19, everyone is working from home. And uh, I think that could change the Japanese corporate culture. So what it means is that before in Japan, it's, it's about hours, how many hours you put in, how, how much effort you put in. But because people are working from home, it's not possible to monitor whether the person is working or you know, <laughs> just slacking. Mm -hmm. You never know, right? So I think uh, the shift is towards more performance-based uh, review and uh, performance-based system rather than you know, hour-based system. Of course, I think the change is uh, slow, but uh, I think the focus is more on um, performance. So you know, whether you work eight hours or two hours, if you get this done, you get paid for that. Or you know, this kind of system is, I think that, that's something I, I prefer. Actually, I think in Japan, in Japanese companies, there were you know, people who, who could have been more productive, more efficient, but because uh, you cannot go home before your boss does, then you know you would you know cut your nails at work or you know you know read newspaper at work and then you know just have more long working hours and then you know at like ten o'clock eleven o'clock at night they say oh I'm so tired I work so much and then go home and then they spend less time with their family their kids and um you know and then create problems at home as well so I think uh, if we can change this glorification of long working hours in Japan, I think uh, Japanese society will, will change drastically. Yeah, that seems to be the root of a lot of these social changes that need to take place is just <laughs> the way that you think about working hours. Yeah. 
Yeah, if you're in a situation where you've had to be a refugee, the odds that you have 100% support at home, like in the traditional Japanese family life, is a lot lower. Mm-hmm. Both parents probably have to work. You might have an elderly person that you have to take yeah. care of. You might have a lot of kids. Cool. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it makes it almost impossible, yeah. I'm sure. Since you've lived abroad so much, you've been to so many different countries. Can you share any examples of a communication breakdown you've experienced personally? Yes, I guess so quite recently. So because our clients are from the countryside, so very small towns or villages. And sometimes I, I do like, you know, cold calling and, uh, you know, get potential clients, right? So because we are a digital marketing agency, we are quite tech savvy and you know we use like Slack and Zoom. And that's 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 quite normal, right? But uh, for the people in the countryside, sometimes they've never heard of Zoom. Sometimes you know they still use fax to communicate. Uh, so it sometimes it's really difficult for for me to not to use these terms that they don't understand. Like, you know, mm-hmm. many of these uh, terms in digital marketing are just English that are translated into katakana. Yeah. So I, I try, yeah, I try to explain these terms in plain Japanese so that everyone is, understands. But sometimes, you know, it's really difficult to, for example, explain an algorithm in Japanese like how it works and yeah. So yeah, there are some challenges um, especially the, the difference of generations and uh, digital uh, uh, you know, literacy, like internet literacy. And also there are cultural differences like between different countries, cultures. But at this moment, it's mostly you know, age gap and generation gap, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are very important factors. <laughs> so, to be fair, I don't think it's just the countryside that has the fax machine. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, 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 in Tokyo, too. Yeah. yeah. But uh, surprisingly, there's some municipalities, they, you know, like first time I call, and then they're like, okay, yeah, let's take it to Zoom. You know, then mm. when that happens, I'm like, yes, I'm so glad. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, usually it's like phones, emails. Do you end up having to do a lot of education almost for your clients? Yes, yes. So definitely sometimes they understand uh, the needs, uh, but sometimes they don't. So I, you know, I go from the beginning to why, you know, this is important for them and why this method is effective, and etc. So a lot of... Uh, I would say, uh, you know, raising awareness of their needs. And to just to go back to it a little bit, what needs are you addressing specifically for these small towns? Yes, so most of these small towns are disappearing. And uh, so by 2040, about 900 municipalities will disappear. And it's because of uh, declining population, and you know, mostly they, uh, their funding comes from tax revenue, right? So the less people they have, the fewer people they have, uh, less tax they can collect. So they will disappear and then all the public 
institutions like hospitals and schools are closing down. And that, that's a very pressing issue, right? And uh, all the services are disappearing. And then that's why there's a vicious cycle of young people moving to Tokyo or Osaka in big cities because they, they have access to these different services and you know, network of people. And um, so what we are addressing is, um, is this particular issue of you know, decline of countryside. And especially they want to revitalize their areas through attracting foreign customers. So because the Japanese uh, population is declining and economy is shrinking, right? So it's not a growing market like in Africa or in, uh, in Asia. So they want to attract foreign tourists to their destinations. And uh, you know, foreigners, so they spend more money than usually uh, than uh, Japanese domestic travelers. And also Japanese travelers, they tend to travel on weekends. And so weekends are always full. And then weekdays, there are you know, these hotels and restaurants empty. So to address that, we need foreign tourists coming into Japan and then uh, you know, revitalize the, you know, the economy through like restaurants and hotels and tourist attractions, et cetera. And that's, that's very important for many towns where their strategy to revitalize it through tourism. Mm -hmm. And another side is in Japan, there are many uh, artisans and uh, craftsmen who, who make great products, but they're not really interested in selling their products, but they're more like artists. So they, they are uh, enjoying making you know, great products and you know, great basically art work. So uh, they have trouble selling their products and therefore they have no income or like, you know, they have very small income and uh, they're becoming old. So these uh, you know, different craftsmanship is uh, on the verge of disappearing because they have no successors who can you know, take over and then continue the tradition and you know, uh, continue producing these great products. So uh, what we're trying to do is like help these uh, um, artisans and uh, to, to sell their products abroad as well uh, using our you know, digital marketing skills. So we, you know, we have a platform for e-commerce and then we, we sell uh, local products, locally produced products for foreign customers. And also now with COVID-19, it's very difficult to attract foreign tourists, but uh, we are promoting you know, our clients' uh, products or I mean, or, you know, touristic products to foreign customers through social media and through website. That sounds like a great way to address the issues that they're <laughs> facing because it is very, very complicated. But I'm a little bit curious about, there's that tax scheme in Japan where you can send your, what's the word? You can send your city taxes to different yes. parts of Japan. Yeah. Has that happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Has that been something that you've seen as having a good impact or? To be honest, I, I'm not sure. I think it depends on the municipalities like uh, because it's kind of like there's an incentive, right? So you, you know, pay tax to this different municipality and then you get something in return, usually uh, products from these regions like fruits 
vegetables or meat, whatever, right? And I think certain municipalities are doing well and others not so well. So I think the successful ones, I think they've collected a lot through, you know, this Furusato Noze system. But it's really, it's also, you know, marketing strategy as well. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not easy to be competitive when you have so many different, you know, municipalities and, you know, they have, you know, different uh, products. And not every municipality has a very compelling product that they can sell to the customers. So, yeah, depends. And also some of the incentives are very extravagant. I'm not sure that every place could even afford to provide those kinds of incentives. Exactly. <laughs> the tax revenue. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, probably just a mixed bag with that one. Yeah. So if you were chatting with somebody who was hoping to move to Japan to live mm -hmm. and work, but they could only know one thing about Japan as a country and its culture ahead of time, what would you mm -hmm. make sure to tell them? Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting question. Japan is not that weird. It's one big thing uh, they should know. I Sometimes I encounter people who have uh, this fantasy about Japan and I think the, these perceptions come from some movies like Lost in Translation or whatever, or you know these uh, news articles that emphasize the weirdness, like the you know strange things and high tech, you know things from Japan. But uh, if you arrive in Japan, it's it's not that different from you know where you come from, uh, depending on where you come from. But uh, it, it's just uh, not that weird, and there are some not weird, but uh, unique things in Japan. Yeah, but it's just small part of Japan and uh, it shouldn't be generalized to, you know, all Japanese people, like all places in Japan. Yeah, mm -hmm. Yeah. in the end, people are just people. So people exactly. are mostly the same, but Japan yeah. does definitely have its own quirks that yeah. then get picked up by BuzzFeed or some other clickbait website yeah. and says everybody yeah. in Japan does this thing when it was one restaurant or one um, vending machine has yeah, this yeah, yeah. thing in it. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like people think that they're like cat cafes and like snake cafes or you know these things everywhere, but it's only you know certain parts of Tokyo and you know only like several you know stores that they have. I hadn't heard about snake cafes, but not I don't know. I, I just uh, <laughs> maybe it exists. I, I maybe I've heard somewhere. Somewhere maybe it's like fake news. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, is there anything else that you wanted to bring up that we didn't get to touch on or chat about? Uh, no, I think uh, you've covered a lot of things. All right. Yeah. Well, perfect. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. your time. Yeah, if people want to learn more about you and your business, where can they go? Or should they just go to the description of the episode and check out your links? Uh, well, I think they can visit our website. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, discover-deep.com. Yeah. So I think all the information is there. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. That you enjoyed today's conversation and please be sure to check out the links in the description of this episode to learn more about Serayun and the work he's doing. If you enjoyed today's episode, 
please go ahead and share it with a friend, colleague, or connection on LinkedIn to help spread the messages and information shared in the podcast. And please remember to go ahead and subscribe and leave a rating and review if you enjoyed the podcast. And feel free to email me at businesssuccessjapan at gmail.com if you have any other questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes or interview topics. Also, be sure to reach out if you would like to contribute as a guest on the podcast to share your own cultural insights into doing business in Japan. If you'd like to leave a voice message, you can find a link to do that in the description as well. But for now, remember that the more you learn, the more confident you will become as you explore all of the opportunities Japan has to offer you. Until next time, mata kondo.